welcome to The Haunting Hour. My name is Ryan Brown, your co-host here at The Haunting Hour, and joined as always alongside my brother Tyler. Ty, how are you doing tonight? Good evening, little brother. I'm doing quite well on this very unseasonably warm September Monday. Yeah, it's the humidity for me. We, why do we always talk about the weather? <laughs> I think we just assume the weather right when it turns September 1st, and I think everyone does this. I think people just assume it's going to get colder. So it's going to be in the mid-50s, low-50s, and you can actually start wearing the fall attire, which I'm very excited about. And that's what I want. I want Mother Nature to hit the AC button, you know? Turn that bitch on blast. Hopefully within another week or two. Hopefully by my birthday, we'll have some colder weather up in here. Yeah, fingers crossed, because then we can dress to the nines, too. That's what I want. Well, I still, we still can wear cutoffs, which we are both wearing right now. I know, but I'm like, I'm getting stoked for overcoat season, for mm-hmm. flannel season, for like, you know, your dark jeans, your boots. You know what I want to do? And I thought about it today when I was watching Supernatural. It's much what Dean and Sam always do. They wear like the black tee underneath. Then you got your flannel over that, and then you got your jacket over that, and all of them are opened up. That's what I want in my life. I need it. I need it now. Looking like a stud walking into any bar, actually any dive bar. You kind of look like a homeless person if you go into <laughs> any other establishment at all. I'm okay with that. Very okay with that. Um, and other fun facts, I got a new tattoo today. It hurt really bad, but it was worth the pain. Doesn't look like shit. It looks really <laughs> cool. Shout out Jesse. I know you don't listen to us, but man, that guy is very, very talented. Um, and in other news other than that, we have our first pumpkin here in the studio. And it's a good-looking pumpkin, let me tell you that. Perfectly round, and it's got a great little stem on it. Can't wait to carve that bad boy. Do you have any idea what you're going to carve this year for uh, your first pumpkin? I have no idea. I always like to do at least one face to get into like the pumpkin carving spirit. Just like a traditional yeah. face? Yep. Okay. Something that like you can put two or three candles in and then put it outside when it's super dark out and it just looks very like authentic. Are you a sharp teeth kind of guy on your pumpkin, or do you like like the um, SpongeBob square ones? That's I I mean I was just gonna say sharp teeth, but I've also done like two or three recently, like the past couple of years, that were the the more like square um, uh, sporadic teeth. Mm-hmm. But the eyes made it look like it was still like super pissed off. Nice. So they were. I'm 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 a big fan of both. All right, and let me ask you this: Do you like faces on your pumpkin better, or do you like like a scene or a creature or something like myself, I usually always carve the headless horseman once a year. Personally, I am a big fan of faces just because it is like, that is cliche Halloween. Right. I'm the same kind of guy though that likes like the old school horror movies. Like mm-hmm. those movie monsters are what I focus on when it turns October 1st. We talking like Jason Voorhees and yeah, we're talking Jason, we're talking Freddy, okay. we're talking uh, Mike Myers, Leatherface. I thought you were going more for like Dracula, the Mummy, or like the creature from the Black Lagoon. And those would be even predating uh, these like seventies and eighties monsters. Let me tell you what, all of them are terrifying. That's uh, actually I wanted to bring this up. Um, wait, wait, wait! I wasn't done my pumpkin talk, bro. Oh, my bad, my bad. I just want to add one more thing to it. I personally love a good scene or a good creature in my pumpkin just because it's like aesthetically pleasing. But now that I think about it, I love a face because when you're farther away, like if you're down on somebody's driveway, you can see the face from a couple hundred yards. You're like, oh, I know what that is. If it's a scene or like a monster, you have to get up really close. 
which eh, sometimes it's not as good. As, lo- as long as you can see it from far away, I'm like, hell yeah. So that's why I, I do like faces. But sorry to cut you off. Continue. No, that's uh, precisely the same logic that I have when it comes to faces and pumpkins. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. Um, started Fear Street on Netflix, the um, critically acclaimed three movie movies. Yep. Um, Fear Street 1994. Four. I've seen that one. I've seen the first one. Really good. Yep. And then Fear Street 1976, I want to say, and don't kill me if that's incorrect. Um, I was drunk both times. Whoa. But very good Halloween movies. I think everyone should start watching them come October. Oh, dude. That's like... Or- last week of september just to get you in the mood then you can jump into all your uh like cliche top-notch horror movies no then you can jump into 31 days of halloween Whoa. on the post abc family which i have no idea what it's called now i think it's 31 days of halloween no no, or, no. It's abc family isn't a thing anymore uh right? freeform ever since seventh heaven got off of that they're like <laughs> yeah we have to change this because that reverend who touched little uh who did some bad things yikes <laughs> I know, that's that a fact a though that's a fact what the fuck <laughs> that's real you guys can look it up the reverend um, on seventh heaven he was a pedophile that's disgusting anyways um are we sure it's not the 13 days of halloween and the 31 days of christmas or did they ramp up the halloween thing on freeform and is it 30 no someone texted me and it was 31 days of halloween it might have been you did you text me that i don't think so maybe it was our sister but i do know they play hocus pocus every single night of the yeah. year i think i put a spell on you oh freeform and now you're my what did i say I have no idea. I wasn't listening. I think I said freeform. Oh, my bad. <laughs> um, also, fun fact about Hocus Pocus. They are starting filming Hocus Pocus 2 in Salem, Massachusetts and Providence this weekend, and they're looking for extras. I've seen it plastered on a ton of websites and the news all the time at the gym. Babo, babo. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, uh, hey, how you doing there, ladies? Remember when he's driving? Mm. Whoa. Speed bump. <laughs> Speed bump. <laughs> and Sarah Jessica Parker is just like, Straight riding him. Oh, she's so hot, though. Yeah, she is. Actually, Winifred, like, let's talk real quick about her. <laughs> Wait, she's, she's the one who rides the vacuum, right? That's not a sexual pun. That is, she literally... No, she's the orange-haired uh, one. Oh, Bette Midler? Yeah, that's Winifred. Oh, yes, it I'm is. I'm pretty Wait, sure. Oh, Mary's the other one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. Mary, I'd probably pass up on that. <laughs> I will say, Bette Midler back in the day, mm-hmm. Redheads, man. Would, would not say no, and she got she can sing well, too. What does Momo say? You always quote it. Ah, Redheads. Gotta love them. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Means true to this day. I bet she can pull off a corset, and I can, and I can. Uh, un, what do you, how do you take those? Like Velcro? How do you take those off? No, oh, string. String. Yeah. I would say Beth Miller comes in the room. Just call me uh, Thackeray Binks, if you will. Ooh, no, she, <laughs> she hates him. <laughs> you got to be Billy. He's like the oh, slave. Yeah, that's true. Anyways, um, yes, Hocus Pocus two. Looking for extras. So if anybody's in the Providence area and you want to try to jump on set, look it up. We would do it. We are just, I think, booked straight through until almost Thanksgiving. I believe that is very true. And to actually build on that, our live show is fast approaching, everybody. It is October 21st. That is a Thursday night starting at 6 o'clock at Bare Hands Brewing Company in Putnam, Connecticut. Swing on by. Bring the family. Bring the friends. Bring your local ghost if you got one hot in your house. But it's going to be a fun Halloween night where me and Tyler are going to tell you guys a couple spooky stories and a couple stories pertaining to Halloween itself. They have great beer there. Actually, I just saw they posted about it today. They have like a new pumpkin beer that I want to try. Mm-hmm. Sign me up for that. Speaking of which, what are you drinking tonight? 
you and I have the exact same thing. I love how you always ask me, but you can look right across the table and just see that I'm drinking a Sam Adams uh, Wicked Hazy. That was Australian. <laughs> um, we're drinking a Wicked Hazy IPA from Samuel Adams. We're not fans of it. It was just sitting in the fridge. But me and Tyler actually are going to, you guys will see it before the episode drops, but we did a alcohol review for the new Bud Light Pumpkin Spice Seltzers, and it's called the Flannel Pack, I believe it is. But we bought that. And we're going to try it out. Um, you guys have already seen it because it's already on the Instagram. But I have a feeling, I'm just guessing here, I'm going to freaking hate it. I have never been so not excited about drinking alcohol on a Monday in my entire life. Well, hey, we're going to turn that around, baby, after you finish this uh, Sam Adams, hopefully. Dude, every single flavor is bad. There's a toasted marshmallow one. It's going to oh taste God. like one of the... Uh, is there a flannel one? Like a flannel tasting flavor? I'd rather drink that. It's like a maple pear or something. I don't know. I'll get a look into it. But it's, I feel like it's going to taste one, like one of the um, Birdie Bots every flavor jelly beans, the Harry Potter ones. Ugh. Just liquid form. I'm not really looking forward to it. It's so artificial. But anyways, we hope you guys are getting excited for the Halloween season. We hope you guys enjoyed our episode on Waverly Hills. Honestly, one of my favorite ones to date, to tell you the truth. It is so spooky, and it's just it's just good, clean Halloween fun right there with a couple F-bombs. It's definitely not clean at all. Not really. But that being said, we have a very different show for you guys tonight. Um, I'm going to call this a Brown Brothers original because Tyler is a critically acclaimed short story writer, horror short story writer, I will add that. So tonight we are going to... Let you guys listen to two of his best stories to put you in the Halloween mood. I'm a big fan. I'll tell you that right now. So I'm going to sit back, relax, enjoy me a beer while Tyler tells me a scary story. As Ryan said, I am an Emmy and Oscar-worthy uh, writer. I have won countless uh, awards for mm-hmm. my writing. Yep. Uh, signed all by me. Wait, you have a Grammy too, right? No. No, no okay. I'm not that good. No. Who am I, uh, Jared Leto? <laughs> I don't think so. No, I just, um, I started writing four or five years ago just to do it, and um, I just like to do it. I like to write about things that scare me, and, and hopefully it scares you guys. But we're going to start tonight with um, a story called The Witching Hour. Um, I'm not going to give anything away. I like to write a little bit more Lovecraft and, and Poe-esque with my writing, um, so the first story is going to be similar to that, and then... The second story is more of just a fun one that um, it came up, I guess it came up about 10 years ago. Ryan and I used to live uh, on a lake, and there was always this little path that scared the shit out of me when, when it was dark, and the second story will, will revolve around that. So without further ado, The Witching Hour. It is the end for me. I can stand it not a single night more. This rifle, loaded in both chambers will serve as my salvation from that dreaded woman and her wicked actions. I have little time to recount my tale before that abysmal hour rings forth, the hour where black things crawl up out of dark places to curse the living. But still, I think I have time to complete this short anecdote and do what is necessary to rid myself of that malignant thing. I do not know what is worse, the simple yet unmistakable condition that she has and will continue to come for me each night, or the astonishing fact that I know next to nothing about her, where she comes from, what she is, what she wants. Do not think me a fool, however, for encountering that monstrous thing night in and night out 
over the past fortnight has given me rough knowledge regarding the fiendish endeavors of the crone. That she is evil, for example, I have no doubt. Simply gazing upon her dead facade is proof enough of that evidence. That she is supernatural, I too know for fact. For her sudden manifestation and just as sudden vanishing has no definitive nor scientific explanation that can elucidate her maledicted behaviors. And that she wants my soul, I feel almost instinctively, deep within the recesses of my bones. There is no victory against such a horrendous opponent, and the dread and anxiety I feel as the clock ticks closer to the witching hour each eve is almost enough to drive me mad. No, I cannot fight, and I cannot run. The only choice for me is obliteration. But first, the tale. It happened on an otherwise typical evening nearly two weeks ago to the day. I retired to my chambers in a home which has seen no supernatural nor horrific event prior to the following and closed my eyes on a waning moon that was rising in the east over the large hayfield which surrounded my property. I awoke in the night for no apparent reason and discovered that I had left the bay window which faced the far western tree line slightly ajar. Feeling the cool draft of that fall night chilled me somewhat, and so I attained to the aperture and locked it thusly. As I began to turn from the closed window, and just as the partition clock set in the den struck thrice, I observed movement from across the dark field that led into the far woods. As my focus began to adjust to the low light of the hour, my curiosity at the shadow increased. The silhouette of some bipedal thing, running at a rate that was almost amusing towards my abode, could be ascertained in the pressing dark. Curiosity quickly turned to trepidation, as the profile of the thing became more and more pronounced and I began, almost intuitively, to back away from the window that led out into the night. From the angle in which I was stationed, I could determine what appeared to be a very tall, very lank individual approaching the house. They must have been in trouble, I thought, for the speed in which they advanced implied no other course nor reason. Flailing arms vacillating overhead in opposite directions could just be barely distinguished against the tree line in the distance. And though I could hear no voice nor cry, I felt almost instinctively that whoever or whatever it was, was calling out. No sooner had I noticed these characteristics, when out of seemingly nowhere, the thing disappeared. I thought I had simply lost its outline in the pitch of the night and stared longingly across the field, but alas could register no movement nor untoward thing upon any horizon in which I gazed. Shocked at what I had seen, I slept not an ounce more that night and made fast for the trees opposite my room at first light in the hopes of collecting some type of corporeal evidence to justify what I had seen. I noticed no footprints nor path within the hay or honeysuckle, however, and chalked the entire ordeal up to a simple nightmare brought about by a tired mind and an extra glass of scotch. I thought no more on the subject until the following night, when I awoke in a similar situation to the sound of the clock emanating from the den. I deduced from the thrice-struck chime that the hour was three, and turned away from the open window emanating forth again a cool night breeze, as I were too weary to cross the room and close it. As the last strike rung true, I realized with abrupt horror that I could hear an awful sound growing in volume from outside. I bolted upright in my small bed as the noise grew louder and with difficulty attempted to rationalize the clamor in order to stem the terror which had begun to assail my body. To say that it was a moan would be deceiving. 
though for all intents and purposes, that is exactly what it was. It was low, almost gurgling, but in the monotonous rising tones, I distinctly made out one singular word that paralyzed any and all locomotion upon my frame. Through the window, and upon the cold spring air, I could hear the calling of my name. Rationale now extinguished, I sat fully exposed and dumbfounded to whatever horror was gaining my home, and I think I would have sat there while the thing crawled through my window had the moon not disappeared behind a wayward cloud and shrouded my room in total obscurity. The terror of meeting that thing in complete darkness, whatever it was, broke my former paralysis, and I fled madly down the hall towards the washroom, where I firmly bolted the door after slamming it hard enough to shake the adjacent walls. The next morning, after another restless night, I again checked the grounds for signs of intrusion, but found none. A healthy knock of scotch and the bright light of day helped my battered psyche function somewhat sensibly, and not long after thinking considerably upon the occurrences did I deduce two fundamental variables that had developed on both horrid occasions. One, that the thing would come at night, and two, that both its manifestation and disappearance would be swift. I additionally had a third hypothesis, one which was more of a hunch than anything else, that frightened me to some extent as it had to do with witches and demons and old wives' tales. And so, I thusly decided to stay awake the following eve and assess my theories accompanied by the aid of my hunting rifle and a strong pot of coffee. As the night passed on, and as the hours began to tick towards dawn, my unease grew. I thought deeply on the voice that I called out the previous eve, and on the strange silhouette I had noticed the night just before. Was the motive behind the queer thing hostile, and would it come again? If so, should I flee if it gains the house? What should I do if the shot from the rifle does not stop its advance? I checked the clock frequently as these thoughts passed through my anxious mind, and as my final hypothesis was related to the concept of that measure of cadence. I tensed as that miserable hour approached, the hour when things, both devilish and infernal, come forth. The time across from me on the partition clock read 2.59 a.m. I waited, and I watched. The clock struck out, a lifeless foreboding chime. And then, out of the darkness and from across the field, I saw it. I had stationed myself in the downstairs parlor in the hopes of surprising the nightmarish stalker by charging the open door when it approached, but found immediately that that endeavor would be senseless. From my stance, I could see clearly the thing that was gaining my abode, and what I saw made me want to turn the rifle upon myself and blow out my skull. A white, abhorrently tall, dead woman was running frantically towards my home. Arms both elongated and bony flailed insanely overhead as her skinless and ashen legs pistoled up and down, almost in a cartoonish fashion. A reeking orifice, crying out in the same dead moan as a previous night, opened and closed idiotically, as the demon thing's bare chest heaved, and I could see, even in the dim light, the absurd protrusions of her ribs. Her face is what caused me to empty the chambers of my gun, however, as it approached nearer and nearer to where I was positioned. It was the face of the damned, a skull, topped with thinning silver hair that dripped grease into hollow and insanely deep sockets, grinned out at me from the pitch. A skull that knows no peace, nor contentment, nor serenity, only torment. The racket of the gun caused me to cry out and reflexively close my eyes, and not a second later did I begin to smell her. 
Oh god, her stench. It smelled of rotten bodies, liquefied into some brackish pomace, left to steep for eternity in the rays of the sun. I prepared for the end then, but decided that I would not go out in so cowardice a fashion. I timorously opened my eyes and braced for whatever horror I believed I would encounter, but alas, found nothing out of place or unpleasant within my immediate view. White tendrils of smoke wisped in lazy parabolas out of both barrels of the gun, which I had somehow managed to hang on to, but again... I saw nothing that gave me fright, though I could have sworn through my muffled ears that I could hear the distant laughter of a woman. Though my faculties were heightened, I did not forget to check the clock that stood across the room upon the den table. It read 3.01 a.m. I thought extensively the next morning about my encounters with the corpse woman and of the proofs which I had collected at my peril. Though I did not check the clock precisely at the devil's hour last night, for obvious reasons, I understood that the dead woman frequented that exact moment in time, as I recalled hearing the tone of the witching hour upon both, last night, and the night of her first approach, in addition to faintly listening to those final strikes of that same hour which came in between. I deduced that she must have manifested at the exact time yesterday, as her brief stint from beyond the field lasted at most a full minute. This deduction left me with two concrete truths. Firstly, for whatever reason, she appeared out of thin air at the witching hour and disappeared no less than a minute after her exposition, and secondly, that she was apparently getting closer to me. For although I did not witness her two nights ago, when I retreated hastily to the washroom, the sound of her hellish voice carrying up from the field appeared to have come just from outside the house, and last night she had almost made the porch. I decided that my best course of action then was to abandon my home for a few days in order to get my wits back about me and made ready that very afternoon for a friend's cottage less than a day's drive to the south. I fell into a deep slumber that evening, as traveling always makes me weary, but awoke almost reflexively at the midnight hour in the small neat bedroom that passed comfortably as my quarters. Anxious and unsure of what to do, I sat up with my singular bottle and watched the bedside clock begin to make its way slowly around. At 2.50, I stood and faced the dim hallway that led out into the foyer, unaware of my actions. A mere nine minutes later, I took up almost a fighting stance, arms raised with a slight hunch in my back and legs one in front of the other, still ignorant of my movements. I think now that my body was subconsciously preparing for the nightmare occurrence, an action that my mind could not or would not process at the time. As the hour turned over, and at the exact moment as it did, I heard the creak of a board from down the hall. I could hear shuffling somewhere deep within that murky pitch erratic shuffling of a bipedal thing that had only the slightest idea of what proper upright locomotion was. It grew in pace and volume as the seconds ticked on, faster and faster as if the thing was sprinting towards my chambers, until at last it revealed itself in all its abhorrence and hideousness in the full light of the bedside candle. I screamed shockingly loud as I slammed the door on the dead woman, now pounding at the wood, and held fast the handle and frame so that the lock would hold, until, one minute later, when the banging ceased and the door became silent once again. I was paralyzed to the spot, hands still upon the doorknob and shoulder still bracing the wood, and as I held the door closed with all the strength I could muster, I heard again the hellish laugh of the witch. I spoke not to the individual who was housing me that night, as I was too frightened to attain the hall until the sun had crept over the far horizon, but the next morning I listened in terror to the brief, dreadful tale that she spun. Apparently, Having been awoken by my high scream 
and on her way to administer what aid she could, my acquaintance noticed a gangly whitish thing pounding on my door, one of its elongated arms actually resting upon the hall floor as the other beat away at the tough wood. I shuddered overtly as I began to comprehend the severity of my situation, for a desperate part of me had been hoping that the events plaguing my person the past few nights were in fact mere hallucinations. Simple yet terrifying visions brought about by a mild case of brain fever, elicited by sleeplessness or stress or some other unknown factor. The witnessing of that dark fiend by another individual, however, expunged that hope to mere oblivion. I confess, driving back to my abode after discovering the legitimacy and validity of that wretch and her stalking actions took most of what resolve was left in me, and I debated over and over how best to respond to the creature. I desperately wanted company to sit up with me, but did not want to subject any of my acquaintances to the horror and harm that I believed to be unavoidable concerning my nighttime visitor. And so, instead of calling on them, I decided to get unquestionably and wholeheartedly drunk with my rifle in lap so as to hopefully sleep the night through and break whatever curse that was upon me. After half a decanter of scotch, I passed out to dreams of graves and dead things. I awoke hours later in a still semi-drunken stupor at the stroke of two and knew that further sleep was unquestionable due both to the amount of scotch I had consumed and the general anxiety and apprehension I had with the time. I thusly moved to the study adjacent to my room and lit a large and warming fire that comforted me slightly. The minutes ticked on and I waited. I cocked both barrels at 2.56 and set my rifle upon a mound of books that I had stacked on my desk for just such purpose. At 2.59, I crouched behind the archaic cabinet and lined my view perfectly with the iron sight which looked out into the shadow-filled hall. The clock struck three. I was drunk and determined enough this time not to flee. I held my breath. And then, I began to hear a rustling in the large closet at the back of the room. I spun in time to see the miserable wretch bound out of the dark cupboard and dash in her appalling fashion towards my paralyzed frame, arms flailing and knees jetting up and down, all while screaming my name in that dead, gurgling tongue. Determination and drunkenness now gone, I ran blindly towards the hall where I was sure, not a moment ago, the dead woman would arise from, and took off towards the front door. I could smell the corpse at my heels, and even felt her bony fingers upon my shoulder, gaining for grip as I attained the porch, until I bolted out into the cold October night and realized all at once that I was alone halfway across the hayfield. I felt my mind slip then, little by little, notch by notch, until blissful unconsciousness took me by dark waters into the realm of oblivion. That was over a week ago. I have managed, somehow, to thwart that evil thing's endeavors to catch me each night during that damned minute as the witching hour begins, but can take it no longer. If I only knew where she would arise, I might be able to cope, but I am broken. She comes for me from all over, the basement, washroom, attic, and last night, last night she came for me from under the bed, crawling spider-like on both hands and feet like some corrupt spawn of Satan until she ripped at my ankles and pulled me towards vistas of blackness that would have swallowed me whole if not for the sheltering clock striking one minute past the hour. No, I cannot do this anymore. It is, as I have said, the end for me. I will not be a victim in her atrocious scheme. This rifle, loaded and waiting, will be my salvation, 
and as I finish this anecdote explaining the course and reason for my actions, I feel almost at peace with my choice of self-annihilation, for I will never again have to look upon the rotten face of that nightmare thing. Alas, I confess, the telling of my tale has taken longer than expected. It is late, and I do not think I have much. No. No, it cannot be that late. It cannot be that damned hour already. Thrice the clock has struck. I hear it now with my own ears. I am out of time. Shuffling. Dreadful, bipedal shuffling upon the stairs. Quick. Quick. The rifle. And this short story is brought to you in part by The Brown Brothers Haunting Hour. All rights reserved. Batwing Hall. Andy, it's your mother. She says you should have been home 15 minutes ago. Fuck. Watch your mouth, boys. Jonathan laughed. Just pause it. I'll keep playing and let you know how far I get later. Andy wasn't thrilled with that idea, though. Johnny would most likely tell all of their classmates that it was he who would beat Shrine, one of the boss demons of Catacombs 3, and not Andy, who had been slaving away for the past 15 minutes at the shadowy monster whose health regenerated at a ridiculous and annoying pace. Just let me finish this bitch off, he said quietly. It shouldn't take more than... Mrs. Green called again from the kitchen. Andrew, your parents are waiting on you for dinner. Get a move on. Andy sighed. He knew he was in hot water for missing curfew. If he kept his father from eating, his punishment would no doubt be worse. I'm getting my move on, Mrs. Green. Thanks for having me. Andy grabbed his bag and the homework that sat unfinished on the computer desk that he was supposed to be working on and made fast for the living room. Don't worry, I'll take care of that fucker, Johnny called quietly after him. I'll text you tonight and let you know how far I get. Andy scoffed. Yeah, thanks. Hope he whoops your ass. Language, boys! Johnny's laugh was cut off abruptly as Andy closed the door behind him. Wow, I really am late, he said out loud. Dusk was settling quickly upon the early October eve, and Andy noticed as he walked swiftly down the steps towards the green's driveway that the sun had just about disappeared beneath the dark trees on the far horizon. He grabbed his bike from under the trampoline that he and Johnny had played on earlier that afternoon and began pedaling towards the growing dark. He took the first few turns that bowed away from the green residence in stride, detouring only once around a large spruce branch that had fallen upon the bumpy tar and began his ascent up the short hill that led towards the main road. Johnny lived on Grand Street and Andy on Totem Pole Drive. Johnny's house was only a mile or so from Andy's, but that was if you took the main road, which was, for all intents and purposes, the long way around. The shorter route, which he had already decided to employ, would be to take the town road which lay perpendicular to his own that would cut his travel time in half. This road, called Indian Run, was dirt, and mostly vacant except for a few houses placed distantly along its berm. It cut cleanly into a large quagmire that spanned far into the woods to the west and led almost directly to the driveway of his house. The issue wasn't the route itself, but rather getting to it. To gain Indian Run from where he was on Grand Street, Andy would have to take the winding downhill path through the marsh that connected the two roads. This short, overgrown trail was nothing more than a footpath a few feet wide, and most people who walked the town road just to the south passed its dense entrance without so much of a second glance. 
Andy didn't know if the shortcut he frequently used during the summer months had a given name and he didn't much care. He and his friends simply called it Batwing Hall, though it was more of a hollow than a hall, and Andy had never seen so much as one bat fly under the canopy of the trees. The area around the ridge wasn't intimidating or frightening during the day. On the contrary, he had found himself many times down in the deep woods and wet areas surrounding the extent, accompanied by his friends, playing war, tag, and building forts of pine and birch, but never in the dark, and the thought of taking the path alone in the growing dusk induced a fright in him that he was slightly surprised at. After all, he was 13. He did not sleep with the nightlight, or with his closet door shut, or with his feet firmly placed under the covers anymore. Taking a trail through the woods at dusk should be no different than these other feats of adolescence. Besides, what did he think was down there lurking in the trees? Shrine? He wasn't real. And if he was real, I'd just flip him off. Andy laughed at this thought as he passed the Fournier's place, the last house on the street before the shortcut. He looked quickly in the bay window as he sped by, and noticed in a flash of bright color the family sitting down at the kitchen table in the safety of their home. The safety of their home? Why on earth did I think that? He shook his head. Whatever. I'll be in and out in one minute. Nothing bad can happen in one minute. Besides, it won't be that dark. The sun just set and I'll pedal fast. With that final thought, he noticed the dark cut to his left. He gained the entrance to the path which rested on top of a shallow hill and stopped. Looking down into the dim trees, Andy again felt a fright that was uncharacteristic take hold of his senses. It was not a rational fear that gripped him, not of murderers or kidnappers or crazy hicks who locked you up beneath their farm and threw away the key. It was the fear of something else, something darker. Maybe it was because he had been playing that stupid survival game, or maybe it was because night was falling quicker than he had expected, and he had never actually ridden the path after the sun had set. But regardless of origin, Andy realized that at that very moment he wasn't just frightened. He was terrified. Okay, he said out loud. I'll just go around. But still he stood stationary. The shadows around him grew taller as the night breeze began to swell, and Andy still did not move. He was a smart kid. The logistical voice in his head, the voice of his father, was telling him that to make it home in the shortest amount of time, he should take the cut through the woods. Simple as that. But another voice, one that he had never heard before, spoke out against this course of action, and for some reason almost pleaded with him to take the street home. Don't do it, he heard it say. Don't do it. Darkness fell fully then as Andy remained motionless. Path or street? Shortcut or the long way? Streetlights or darkness? The indecision was maddening. Suddenly, the headlights of an oncoming car washed over Andy, and the bright beam startled him into movement. Fuck it. Away we go. Andy pedaled fast, bobbing left and weaving right down the shallow decline of the dirt trail, avoiding rocks and roots and the low-hanging pine bouts that shot out like fingers early on, until the path gradually began to level out. His bike began to slow as the path rose slightly to check the elevated road somewhere ahead, and after some time, he registered with relief the outline of the street marker in the distance. So far, so good, he thought to himself. Just need to make it through the march. Andy began to pedal hard. His legs pistoned up and down, and his breath grew hot and fast. Jesus, who am I racing? The thought was meant to come across as comical. Andy didn't think he wanted to know the answer to that question. 
The road is just up ahead. You can slow down a little bit, bud. But he didn't. If anything, Andy began to pedal faster. It was almost as if he was pedaling away from something. Something bad. It was then, as this thought eerily crossed his mind, and as he entered the lowest part of the trail, that he heard the voice. It came from his left, calling out from somewhere deep in the alcove of trees that led further into the swamp, and the shock of hearing a voice, any voice, from that part of the quagmire almost made Andy swerve off the trail. What the fuck was that? Andy listened for the voice to call again, part of him not believing that he had heard anything in the first place, and part of him, the same part that had pleaded with him to take the main road, knowing that he had. He pedaled faster. Suddenly, the voice called again from out of the woods. Andy's blood turned cold. It was saying his name. Andy. From the dark, it beckoned to him. Andy. The voice was loathsome. It was deep, gurgling, almost as if the thing was speaking through a mouthful of water and conjured up the most detested images of swamp monsters and stalking things with glowing eyes and sharp claws. Andy pedaled faster and faster as the voice called out again, this time more pronounced than ever. Oh god, a human can't make that sound, he thought to himself. I've got to get out of here. Andy pedaled harder than he had ever in his life. The road. Just need to make it to the road. It won't follow me there. The thing cried out again, louder and closer than ever. He would not look around. He would keep his eyes fixed on the sign which read Indian Run, now only yards ahead. The smell of rotting animals and dead fish suddenly enveloped him, and Andy's eyes started to water. I won't look around. I won't look around. Andy focused every ounce of his concentration on the end of the path. He was so focused that he did not see the large rock jutting out of the ground like a tombstone until it was too late. He awoke out of a daze some unknown time later. He was sprawled out on the dirt at the end of the hollow, his bike a mess of metal and rubber beside him. Andy reached up and touched his throbbing head. Blood caked his hand, and as he sat up trying to remember what happened, a branch broke behind him. He spun, recalling the nightmarish encounter in one horrible wave, embraced for what he might see. Andy screamed. A large, semi-humanoid shape was lumbering towards him out of the trees. The thing was towering and completely covered in some horrible dark gray sludge that Andy could make out clearly even in the dark. Whatever it was appeared viscous, almost as if the gray matter covering the frame was flowing endlessly from within its pores, making the entire vista appear wet and dripping. Empty sockets of black nestled within a large oval head stared blankly in Andy's direction, and he noticed in terror that its grotesquely long arms and ambiguous legs, both ending in stumps, were covered in the same flowing gray sludge. Its mouth, an enormous black maw that had no tongue nor teeth that Andy could see, opened and closed almost as if on a hinge, calling out with each dreadful movement in a bubbling moan that Andy instinctively despised. He watched on, petrified and immobile, as the thing grew nearer. The abhorred monster raised its sickening arms towards Andy, and in a foaming, detested tongue, cried out in a voice that caused Andy, again, scream out in the night. Eat you! Eat you whole! Andy's paralysis broke then, and with the thought of actually being eaten by that monster, being swallowed up in its black mouth 
and digested in the stomach of the wretched thing, bolted upright and began sprinting down the road towards the safety of the distant house lights. He didn't remember the run home or what he mumbled incoherently to his parents when he got there, but after his mother dressed his wound and after his father gave him some medicine to help with the pain, Andy was able to spin a story not too far from the truth that would explain the appearance and tardiness of himself while not raising questions about his sanity. He told his parents, while his little brother watched cartoons in the living room, that somebody had chased him down Indian Run from Jonathan's house and as a result caused him to lose control of his bike. No, he did not get a good look at them. No, he didn't think they were going to hurt him. He thought they were just trying to scare him. That's all. His father nodded while his mother stroked his hair. It was probably just some crazy kid. He spooked you good, didn't he? Just a prank, I'll bet. Nevertheless, take the main road next time. We don't want you or Daniel in those marshes after dark. There's swamp mud down there that'll suck your shoes clean off. That's not the only thing down there, Andy thought to himself while promising his father that he'd stay far away from the area. I'm never taking that path again. An hour later, and after dinner and a hot shower, Andy began to feel better. He decided that it probably was just some creep in a costume who got off by scaring kids in the woods. After all, Halloween was only a few weeks away. He shrugged as he climbed the stairs to his room. Or I imagine the whole thing, he said to no one in particular. That's even more believable. He shook his head, almost in a pitying way. What he wanted now was sleep, a full night's worth of blissful, uninterrupted sleep. He did not want to think any more about the encounter or of the dark, wet eyes that had stared so longingly at him in the woods. That I imagined, he said again. Who are you talking to, Andy? His brother appeared at the door of the bathroom. Your imaginary friend? Andy laughed. No one, Shorty. Go get some sleep. Mom will freak if she knows you're still awake. Andy turned and started to walk towards his room. I don't have an imaginary friend either. That's kid stuff, so don't go spreading that around, okay? Andy reached for his bedroom door. Then who was standing outside your window a few minutes ago? He froze. What did you say? I said, then who was standing outside your window a few minutes ago? I saw him looking in when I went to the bathroom. Andy turned slowly. Daniel shrugged. I figured it was your imaginary friend. You know, like Petey. Although Petey is nice looking, and yours is all gross and covered in muck and stuff. Andy stood staring stupidly at his brother as he walked out of the bathroom. If I were you, I would make up a new one. That one looks like he could eat you whole. Andy laid stiff as a board staring up at his ceiling. His bedside light was on, and the flashlight he kept under his bed for emergencies was clutched between his hands. He had looked intently out his window before he settled into bed, but had seen nothing scary or out of the ordinary on the quiet street, only dark houses and even darker trees. Okay, okay, so Danny thought he saw something outside the window. Big deal, he's six. Six-year-olds make shit up. The comfort he thought he would feel did not come. There was just too much coincidence. That thing, whatever it was, it couldn't have been real. I was hopped up on horror games and my imagination got away from me. That's all. Plus, there's no way it could have followed me home. Andy rolled over onto his side. But what about the call from the woods? Big whoop, it was probably a bird or something. And how bad it smelled down there. It's a marsh, you idiot. Of course it's going to smell bad. And its face. Yeah, it kind of looked like one of the monsters out of the game you were playing right before you saw it. What's next? You see Shrine at the dinner table? But what about what Danny said? Enough. There was no monster down in the marshes and Daniel just saw a shadow. End of story.
the definitiveness and the response from that logistical part of his mind did comfort him then, and though he thought that he would lie awake, restless and frightened long into the night, Andy was asleep before the clock struck ten. He awoke sometime later out of a nightmare filled with shadows and mud. He did not know what woke him, or what time it was, but had felt almost intuitively upon waking that there was something wrong with his room. Andy strained his eyes in the dark and realized that he had rolled onto his side in his sleep and was now facing the wall, almost as if his body had decided subconsciously to move as far away from the window as it could while he slept. Andy felt around for his flashlight, but could not find it in his sheets. A cool breeze suddenly licked at the bare nape of his neck. A smell, fishy and rotten, wafted on that breeze towards his bed. Andy froze, too terrified to turn over. I shut the window, he thought to himself. I shut and locked the window before I fell asleep. A footstep, almost too soft to be heard, sounded from across the room. It sounded as if something big, something heavy, had stepped in a muddy puddle. Andy was paralyzed with fear. He began to cry. So nice, the voice whispered as it approached the bed. So nice to eat you whole. 